Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Charles Darwin. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm your host Carson Brabber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we sit just a little bit more than a week out from the Super Bowl. So we are going to save our full Super Bowl preview episode for next week when we are just a day or two out from the event itself. Today, we're going to do an NFL show focused a little bit more on the games that we just saw last weekend, the conference championships, and then also some other news going on around the league as we have particularly a lot of talk about quarterbacks changing locations, and we'll get into that. But let's start with the teams that were sent packing last Sunday because two great football teams, two of certainly the four best this league had to offer, were sent home. Of course, the Buffalo Bills were first. And Logan, this one was particularly painful for us because we were massive Bills advocates. We were the guys pounding the table saying this team's going to win the Super Bowl. So I guess let's just start with what are the feelings for you having had this disappointing result, having had our integrity ruined and our names smeared on the Twitter timeline? Well, I'd still be extremely confident in the Bills. They've got a quarterback for the future. They put up a really good fight against uh, Kansas City. And, I mean, it was just uncharacteristic what happened to the Bills in that game. Uh, they weren't finishing drives. The Chiefs unconventionally average, you know, regular season offense. They were 14th um, at finishing red zone drives. All five of their red zone drives ended in touchdowns. The Bills' conventionally dominant regular season third down offense, best in the league, I might add, uh, went 5 of 14 on third down, and they failed to capitalize on drives that were in Kansas City territory. They opted for a few too many Tyler Bass field goals, and I have to give credit to Kansas City on that side of the football. Steve Spagnuolo did a tremendous job of Xing out uh, Stephon Diggs as best he could. Uh, defensively, though, Carson, as we spoke about last week in our keys to the game, the Bills just didn't make any adjustments to Travis Kelsey. And I knew that was the biggest factor coming into the game, that they would have to slow him down. Obviously, Tyreek Hill burned him for a lot as well. But uh, they weren't getting any pressure on Mahomes, and they still opted not to put an edge rusher, a extra defender on Kelsey. They kept rushing forward the quarterback when it probably would have been smarter to drop someone in coverage. But... Like I said, Carson, the Bills still have reason to be extremely optimistic about next season. You have one of the best quarterbacks in the league, I would say, top three, top four. You have one of the best wideouts in the league in Stephon Diggs. Your offense is not going to drop off whatsoever. And on the defensive side of the ball, you've got an awesome linebacking core that you obviously need to resign. One of the best secondaries in the league. The only thing the Buffalo Bills, uh, as I've mentioned before, that they need is just that dominant edge rusher. If Ed Oliver takes a leap next season, they will be in great uh, shape. If A.J. Epinesa takes a decent leap next season, they will be in excellent shape to do some more damage next season. But if they can hit their nail on the head in the draft, if they can get a premium outside linebacker, or if they can clear up some cap space and sign one of the many free agent uh, edge rushers on the market, Von Miller, Bud Dupree, um, Matt Judon, Yannick Ngakwe. There's a ton this offseason. Shaq Barrett as well, although I believe the Buccaneers will probably throw a bag at him. Uh, there's a market for outside linebackers. There's always guys to get in the draft. That's all the Bills have to do because I'm confident they're an outside linebacker away from Super Bowl contention and definitely will be an AFC championship conversation regardless next season. 
Yeah, we agree on the key there. If it's an outside linebacker, if it's a defensive end, they just need a guy who can sort of tear the game open there because we talked about how the Bills, with their personnel in the linebacking core as far as coverage goes and in the secondary, are as well-equipped as anyone to handle the Chiefs' weapons straight up. It's just, can they make Patrick Mahomes the most dangerous weapon of all, uncomfortable rushing for? And they very clearly couldn't. And they were up and down in that regard this season, but they were never a factor in this game. And Mahomes was just dissecting this defense so comfortably because of it. They got to him one time, bringing him down. The only other time they really got to him, he delivered a throw as he was being brought to his knees right on the money because he's just that special of a player and you talk about some of the guys hitting the market I don't think any of them are a particularly viable option for Buffalo just because of the cap situation they're going to be very limited there and there are probably some guys in-house who they want to bring back first like outside linebacker Matt Milano who maybe isn't that dynamic pass rusher but I think is essential to what this team is trying to do and so I think it's going to have to be through the draft and it's not that I don't like the guys who rush off the edge here Jerry Hughes Mario Addison AJ Epinesa these are solid football players but when your team leader in sacks has five, you can have this sort of strong team pass rush. And this was one of the top 10 most blitz heavy teams in football. So they did generate a little pressure bringing guys down from the linebacking core, from the secondary. But you just need that one guy who can consistently pose problems for the offensive line. And as good as Jerry Hughes is, and he's the standout guy among the group, he's just not that guy at this point. And also, sometimes when he gets to the quarterback, he has a tendency to miss out on opportunities there and not actually bring him down. So... I agree with you on the issues there, and I think this is interesting because a lot of the focus on this loss for the Bills was mounted on the offensive end because particularly of the passivity of head coach Sean McDermott not taking advantage of maybe some fourth and short opportunities in the red zone, and I agree that that was the issue because we knew that this game was going to have to be a shootout, and in a shootout against the greatest offense of all time, you have to gamble, you have to take chances, and the Bills did the exact opposite of that, and also Josh didn't play his best game. He was a little bit amped up, and I thought that he really threw a few balls that should have been turnovers, which is uncharacteristic for how he's been playing lately, but it does come down to the defensive end because you can't let up 38 points and you can't make it look that easy. And after a drop Tyreek Hill pass and a fumble by Nicole Hardman, the Chiefs just had their way every single possession. So you talked about how great the Bills should feel going forward. Do you think that they are still the most worthy challenger of the Chiefs next season? As of right now, I would say yes. Um, I'm trying to think here. Maybe... Maybe the Steelers, I uh, give them credit just because I think our defense is going to be top level, but uh, Big Ben has his limitations. I would say, yeah, I think they're probably the biggest challenge. I wanted to ask you specifically, though, Carson, as a Bills fan, say you go outside linebacker, defensive end in the first round, what are some of the other positions you were going to need to focus on uh, late in the days of the draft? Well, I think absolutely running back is a priority. Now, I'm not a believer in taking a running back early. I just think you need to get the right guy in here. Zach Moss was fine. Singletary, to me, should not be out on the field. His hands are very spotty. He has poor vision. He doesn't have enough speed to get to the edge consistently and punish guys there. So although he had a really nice rookie campaign, this season he was just flat out not good. And I think that there's a reason we saw TJ Yeldon, who has barely played for this team, getting more touches than him in the biggest game of the season because he's a more versatile back. He's really better at just getting those extra yards because of his size and physicality there. So those guys are okay. I just think for this offense, with the receiving weapons, that's a position of need. And then also I would say the tight end position because although Beasley and Diggs sort of work as those safety valves and they're so good, maybe you don't dramatically need another receiving weapon. There's there's a possibility that they don't bring back John Brown. And if they don't bring back John Brown, you look at this tight end group and say, okay, Dawson Knox is okay. Tyler Croft, when he was out there, was okay. But it's certainly an area that, they, that can be upgraded. And so I would look to that as well. But all in all, this was an incredible season for Buffalo. And yes, Maybe we set expectations a little bit too high towards the end of the season saying that they were going to go out there and beat maybe the greatest juggernaut in the history of this sport. But just to reflect on what we were looking at coming into this season, you thought they were going to the Super Bowl off the jump and all the power to you for that. But I wasn't sure that Josh was the franchise quarterback for this team because he had been so up and down. He hadn't shown that ability to throw guys open, to throw with anticipation. You still thought that he had a little bit too much of that madman untamed Bronco in him where he was just going to make bad decisions. He couldn't throw deep balls consistently. He overthrew you by about 10 yards every single time. And none of that is really true now. He has put together a top three quarterback season in football this year. And I think that is the tier that he is firmly entrenched in now. And even though maybe he didn't play his best game this past week, he still finishes with two touchdowns through the air. He gets 88 yards on the ground and he found a way to 
impact this team's offense when he didn't have his best stuff and when he was facing a defensive scheme that seemed to confound him a little bit. So do you agree that this season all in all is, even though they didn't live up to our ultimate expectations, a, a major success for the Bills who also keep Brian Dable, who I thought would have been one of the most highly prized head coaching targets on the market? I mean, come on, Carson. If I had told you preseason, which... I did, see? If I had told you preseason that the Bills were going to go to the AFC Championship game, yeah, man, you would have done a dance right there on the air on Nerd Session. I mean, you confronted me. You told me you didn't think it was going to happen. But yes, this is an ultimate win. There's so much to to be excited for in Buffalo. It feels like it's a long time coming. And to speak to your points about Josh Carson, he just looked, this was a polar opposite of what we saw from like Wentz and Allen this season. Josh immediately off the bat was confident, was just headstrong. He looked confident every throw he made against the Chiefs. Like, even down to the last minute, Josh was, he, he had no fear in him. Wentz this season, we saw, took that dramatic dive where he just lost all of it. Confidence is such a key factor, and I think that was one of the biggest things for Josh this season. And yes, man, the Bill, you guys are going to be relevant for the next decade, man. You guys are going to be battling for AFC championships against Patrick Mahomes for the next 10 years. It'll be interesting to me to see if the defense can catch up with the offense a little bit next year because this has been a defensive team for the better part of the past half, de half decade when the Bills have been good. It's been because of their defense, and this year was the exception to that. So we'll see if they can rebound, if they do bring back Milano, if they can supplement some of their needs to the draft because I fully believe in the secondary. I fully believe in Milano. Tremaine Edmonds, a pro bowler, a talented guy, and there are some good players on this front. So it's just about putting together a full two-way campaign, and I think the Bills are well-equipped to do that. So, even in defeat that we did not expect, even though they didn't seem that close to the Chiefs, who kind of felt invincible out there, with a 24-year-old quarterback with all the things they have going for them, the Bills, we agree, have reason to feel good. The other team that lost in a championship game, maybe not as much reason to feel good. Now, we both swung and missed on our Bills take. However, we went bold in the other game as well and both took the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and that one did pay off. So, looking at the Packers, what are their takeaways from this game? Where do they need to improve going forward? And what should just the feeling be in this organization? I mean, I would not be optimistic if I'm a Packers fan. Aaron Rodgers is getting older and older. He seems a little bit disgruntled. And I wonder if that, if that still stems from the organization opting to draft Jordan Love. Now, it's just, it's painful. And I know this is a Steelers fan. You know, this is a Bills fan watching your team lose against the Chiefs. As much success as the Packers have had in the regular season to continue getting to these spots, just a shot to the heart, continuously losing in the NFC Championship game, uh, just like Saints fans feel. It's it's hard, and so there's not a whole lot of optimism, I think, after this. It's another hard shot, and I still feel bad for Aaron Rodgers with the incompetence he has had to deal with defensively over these few years. A 45-27 loss to Atlanta, a 39-31 loss to San Francisco, and now a 48-33 loss to Tampa Bay. Uh, the incompetence from this defense in this game, uh, specifically, though, was Kevin King. Uh, he got scored on every Tampa Bay touchdown. Uh, he committed the game-losing call, on PI call on third down. And this correlates to a deeper issue that you cited in our preview issue, Carson. It was that Mike Pettin didn't make defensive adjustments, moving Jair Alexander to the other side of the field. Bruce Arians clearly game plan for what you noted before the game, that Alexander played primarily dominant on one side of the field. Alexander was shadowing... I don't even know the other receiver's name. He's covering Scotty Miller and then... Ty Johnson. Yeah, Ty Johnson. I mean, that is not where you want Jair Alexander on the field. He needs to be shadowing Evans, Godwin, or Brown every play. So that was something of an issue. But even with the defensive incompetence, the Packers still forced three interceptions. They didn't capitalize on any of those opportunities. This speaks to a mismanagement of the clock, of decision-making from the Packers in the first half. Clock mismanagement to end the half. 2.10 left in the second quarter. LaFleur opts to run and throw a short pass instead of just saying, hey, Aaron, run a two-minute drill, see if we can get some points. And you know what? They didn't even do that properly. If you're going to run the football, if you're going to run a short pass and you're going to get the ball at the start of the second half, just run the clock out. Just don't let Tampa Bay get it back. Play that brand of football. They couldn't even do that right because Brady scored at the end of the half. Even if you're trying to preserve the score, at least do it well, run the clock completely off. And then, of course, we get to the end of the game where they were horribly mismanaged. Two minutes left. Rodgers has got to run that touchdown in. LaFleur has to go for it on fourth down. Two minutes left, down eight. It's just something that you have to do. This has been a theme for the Packers. I, just with, with LaFleur's mismanagement, with Rodgers um, apparently not being happy with front office, with this roster, no, there's not a lot to optimism there. But as long as Aaron Rodgers is on your roster, there should always be a little hope because as we've seen with this season, as we've seen in the past, 
the guy can single-handedly take teams to the NFC Championship game year in, year out. So you highlighted coaching decisions. You highlighted the play of Kevin King, which I think was glaringly bad. And although he wasn't great in coverage this year, allowed a passer rating of 96, missed 17% of his tackles. I wouldn't say he was a bad corner in the regular season, but he got schooled out there time and again, always seemed to be a step behind the game. Outside of that, with this roster that I think a lot of people were saying could reasonably challenge the Chiefs, this was the second best team in football, a lot of people were saying, where do they actually improve? Because there's this feeling of disappointment, but where does this roster need to actually upgrade? I mean, I think defensively is number one, and this is an issue that goes back to the draft last season of Matt LaFleur's decisions. In the first two rounds, you go Jordan Love and A.J. Dillon. First off, I love A.J. Dillon, man. That kid... He is going to be an awesome power back. And I think this was a smart decision because Aaron Jones is probably gone after this year. Dylan will plug in and fill that role nicely. So I'll give him props on that decision. But he didn't go defense until the fifth round. And then he took two more defenders in the seventh. When defense is your biggest need, when you've got a lot of free agents coming up this offseason, you have to plan out in the draft. Now, I'll give him credit again here. He took a lot of offensive linemen. Good, you're planning for the future. But when you have a team this good, when you have a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, and this is why he should be mad, you don't waste... MVP seasons of a guy's life. So I think in the draft, they have to go full defense, whatever. I'm talking corners. Just go crazy on that side of the ball. Get Aaron a receiver. You make him happy. I'm talking first round. You will go and get someone to pair him alongside Devontae Adams because they are weapons this season. And then you go full defense the rest of the way because this defense has let down Aaron nearly every year. Again, he didn't do it this game because they got three picks. I put this one on Rodgers and LaFleur primarily. Again, and Kevin King. But You've got to kill this in the draft. You've got to focus on defense fully. I agree. I think you probably do need to replace King. And I also think they need to get another pass rusher in here. And after the play of the Smith brothers last year, I certainly would not have expected this to be at the top of their list, but they were just never consistently generating pressure against Brady for the most part. And that's a problem, obviously. It's the most important part of any defensive unit. They only got one sack on him. And outside of Zadarius Smith, I think Preston Smith was back down to four sacks on the season. So he was carrying the heavy load there. And this devolved into really an average pass rush. So to me, this offense, yeah, it would be good if they had another receiver just for depth. Although Valdez Scantling played well. Aaron Rodgers turned Robert Tanyan into a Pro Bowl type tight end just because he's Aaron Rodgers and he does that. Yeah, it would be good to get him more weapons, but I don't know if that's at the top of the list. I agree with you. I think it's defense and I think specifically it's pass rushers. So for a bit of a season debrief here, we seem to agree that they feel that they should feel disappointed, but also coming into this season, neither of our expectations were quite this high for Green Bay. So do you think that they come back as a real contender of this tier again? And Taking a perspective that's a little bit larger than the moment in which they won a game, in which they lost a game that they obviously wanted to win, how proud should they still be of this season? I mean, they should be proud, but as a historic franchise like Green Bay, I know the fans will, they're not going to be happy if they don't win a Super Bowl. It's just like Steelers fans. It's like Patriot. If you're not winning the Super Bowl, there's going to be this little bit that eats back at you. That being said, though, no, man, Green Bay is probably going to win this division again next season. I'm not picking against Rodgers like. As regular season prowess goes, LaFleur and Rodgers are two of the best ever to do it. Two seasons, both 13-3. and three. Did they, uh, I'm blanking, did they get the one seed as well last season? They were the two seed. They were the two seed. I mean, still, regular season success follows. If you have Aaron Rodgers on the roster, Carson, actually, while you were touching on it, I think that speaks to a bigger issue with this Packers defense. So you're talking about pass rush. They just need playmakers, man. Any game in which, and this was a theme all season long, if Rodgers turned the football over, the Packers were probably going to lose. They just simply don't have playmakers on defense, and that stems from a lack of a pass rush where two years ago you had the Smith Brothers wreaking havoc. You need to get that pressure up front, but you also need playmakers on the backside to get those turnovers, which will be key in swinging games. Yeah, I'm fascinated to see how this Packers team looks next year because we saw a revitalized Aaron Rodgers, who we hadn't seen over the past couple seasons, and at 37 now, it'll be interesting to see how long he can sustain that level for. I'm interested in seeing how they improve on the defensive end, but all in all, I do think this has to be considered a really successful campaign for the Packers and for Aaron Rodgers, who I think this was a big season in cementing his legacy in some ways, just to have that last MVP-type campaign, maybe not even last, maybe he'll have another, but what a phenomenal season of football it was for him and for this team as a whole. So it's obviously disappointing when all is said and done, but they're going to be back, they're going to be pretty good, and... I think that really both them and the Bills at the end of the day are going to be incredibly strong teams yet again next year. All right, so 
I talked about how next week we're going to do most of our Super Bowl preview stuff, but let's talk just briefly about the two teams who ended up coming out on top this past week and maybe just little cracks in the armor, little weaknesses that they showed on display. Let's start with the Bucks. What was something that stood out to you from that game as saying, okay, maybe the Chiefs can pick on that? Specific to what the Chiefs are going to do Super Bowl Sunday, I think the crack in the armor is going to just be the cornerbacks. And I know they've been picked on all season long. I want to give credit, man, because... I said, <laughs> preseason, I picked the Bucks to go 8-8, eight and eight, man. I had really no faith in them. If foolish of me. You don't pick against Tom Brady. And I, I cited the secondary as the big reason why this team couldn't make the Super Bowl, wouldn't make the playoffs. Jamel Dean, Carlton Davis, Sean Murphy Bunting, uh, Antoine Winfield, they all played tremendous this season, especially Carlton Davis. But as it is specific to what the Chiefs are going to do, they're going to pick on them all day long. This veteran secondary of the Bills couldn't even... They, they got torched all game long. It wasn't close. If the Chiefs can do that to a veteran secondary like the Bills, I don't think the Bucs stand much of a chance. That being said, the one thing that I'm ecstatic about, dude, the Bucs have one of the best pass rushes I've ever seen. I, just rushing four, just rushing five, Sue, JPP, uh, Shaq Barrett. I mean, they are disruptive. I would say the best in the league this season. I kind of overlooked them a little bit. So cracks in the armor-wise, also the biggest one, is the Chiefs' pass rush being able to get home against Tom Brady. We saw it, man. When that corner rushed the edge and he threw an absolute duck up, I mean, if you can get pressure in Brady's face, the Chiefs are going to win this football game. I'm probably going to pick the Chiefs regardless, but Brady just crumbles under pressure. He doesn't have that that killer in him anymore, man. He gets scared back there when there's somebody in his face. So those are the two big cracks in the armor. I think it's the secondary, and I think it's getting pressure on old man Brady. I agree with the Brady take, and this is something that we learned earlier in the season, but we were really reminded of it in this past week because obviously he throws the three interceptions, but was just inaccurate for a lot of the day, was missing throws, and specifically the one pick that he throws up to Mike Evans on that goal when the ball is 15 yards short because Brady's about to get hit, but he doesn't want to take the hit full on, and he doesn't want to step into the throw and deliver a ball that could have been caught, but obviously then he's taking the full force of the hit, I think that that is absolutely a crack in the armor, and that's what stood out to me. He was just 3 of 9 on throws 20-plus yards downfield with three interceptions on those attempts, and obviously throwing the deep ball has been the Bucks' strength on the season. I don't think that that has necessarily changed. He missed opportunities for them, though. There, were, there was a ball that hit Mike Evans in the hands but was a little bit high that should have been a touchdown, and I think that that falls on Brady. And to me, if you play some strong zone defense, and you can generate a pass rush with four, which the Chiefs did really well against the Bills, I thought that was some of the best football that their front seven has played this season. They were just consistently getting after Josh, and they were doing a good job in coverage. It was just a strong all-around defensive performance. Then good luck to Brady, because you're not going to match the Chiefs' offensive output if you're uncomfortable. And we've talked about how a comfortable Brady can be dangerous, but an uncomfortable Brady can be really bad and can sort of sink this team offensively. So I absolutely agree. I think that that is a weakness. And then I agree with you on the secondary as well, because... Obviously, the, the Bucks' defense is carried by this pass rush, and Shaq Barrett may have just had the best eight-sack season ever because he was dominant in the regular season, and he was dominant this past week, and it was really fun to watch. But if anything's going to bring this defense down, it's going to be the back end, especially going up against this group of weapons. Although it will be interesting to see how do Levante David and Devin White handle Travis Kelsey because probably one of the better if not the best coverage linebacking core that you could have to match up against certainly the best tight end in football, and that will be something to watch. But we will get into all of that a little bit more in next week in our full-on preview. Let's flip now to the Invincible team, who I don't think showed very many chinks in the armor at all. But if there was anything, what do you think it was for Kansas City? No, you said it. There isn't one. I, and I'm going to make this case, Carson. You hopped on this train way earlier in the season than me. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes is the greatest football player on the planet. He's the greatest one of all time. His 5,000-yard campaign in his first year starting, the most in any quarterback's first three years of all time. His 50 touchdowns, the most in a quarterback's first three years ever. He has the highest touchdown-interception ratio of all time right now of 4.75 to 1. And the biggest thing that you hit on, Carson, you get pressure on Brady, he crumbles. He falls apart. You get pressure on Patrick Mahomes, and this is what makes him so special. It doesn't matter, man. You saw it in the Bills game. It shows up even more in the statistics. These are from next-gen stats presented by uh, NFL and Amazon. Shout-out endorsements. Uh, over the past two seasons when Mahomes has uh, has started, he literally is two times better against the Blitz. 
than any quarterback in football. His QBR when facing pressure, 48.4. Average quarterbacks, 26.1. It doesn't make any sense at all, dude. And those are just the individual stats. When you compare team success he's had to other quarterbacks, the only guys that I can think that have had as much team success as Patrick Mahomes has had in his first three seasons, Joe Montana, he didn't won his first Super Bowl in his second season starting. He won his second one in his fourth year. Russell Wilson, he won his first Super Bowl in his second season starting. He appeared in the second Super Bowl in his third year. Tom Brady, of course, he won three Super Bowls in his first four years starting. And then Kurt Warner, he won a Super Bowl in his first year. And then he appeared in his second in his third season. And of course, Mark Sanchez, who went into back-to-back AFC Championship game. Shout out. But the biggest difference is that pass rush, man. It just doesn't affect Patrick Mahomes, which makes him basically unbeatable. It makes this Chiefs team unbeatable. He's the greatest quarterback I've ever seen, and I don't think you can beat him. Yeah, well, this is an interesting answer to, was there a weakness for the Chiefs? But I, no. And I, under, I, I understand what you're saying because I do think Mahomes is the best football player ever. I think this is the greatest offense of all time, and I think that the numbers reflect that. Since Mahomes took over, when he plays, the Chiefs averaged 31.9 points per game over these past three years. But what I think is even more disgusting is that they turn it up to another level when it matters most. In seven playoff games, they're averaging 34.1 points per game. And the only time they've gone below 31, Mahomes got hurt. We were talking about this, but it's just like if you wanted to build a quarterback in a machine and say, okay, let's take a guy who who reads the field brilliantly, who doesn't make mistakes, who doesn't make dumb throws, who has the greatest arm talent of all time, who is mobile. All of that is packaged in Mahomes, and he also has two of the best weapons in football and maybe the best offensive mind in football. So it's just unfair in that respect. I think they're the best offense of all time, and I don't know if the Bucs are going to come very close in the Super Bowl because of it. So do you think they have any any flaws at all that you think they could expo- that Tampa Bay could expose? I wrote down run defense question mark, I guess question mark, because I think it's a little bit overplayed. I don't think that it's going to really impact them long term. It's obviously been something that hasn't been a strength this season, and they did let up 18 carries for 129 yards against the Bills, but that was mostly to Josh Allen, who, if it was on a designed run or scrambling outside of the pocket, he had 88 on the ground. They did a pretty good job of bottling up the actual running backs, and we do know there are some studs in this front, Chris Jones namely, and of course, some dudes who can really excel in run support like a Tyran Matthews. So, no, I don't really think that there is a weakness. I guess you could say that it, that's it. Are the Bucks going to expose it? I don't know. Their run game has been up and down this year. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. Either way, I'm certainly not going to pick them. So congratulations, Chiefs. You're the best football team ever with the best football player ever. And enjoy it. And we picked against you. And uh, we don't feel great about that. And we don't look great for that. Okay. So that's enough on what we saw in last week's action. Let's now hand out some awards in Award Tour, where we give out some acknowledgments to the most deserving candidates of the past week. Let's start with you, Logan. What's the first award you're handing out today? First award is the Angsty Teenager Award. We're handing that to Chris Jones for punching guard John Feliciano and just getting away with it, man. He should have been ejected. Uh, The refs didn't notice it. Something Jones has been doing all season long. Uh, Frankly, I think Andy Reid needs to give him a timeout, Carson. I think he absolutely needs a timeout. That was ridiculous because he committed two personal fouls within like the first quarter and a half. That one particularly egregious, so I agree. Okay, my first award is the You're Not Very Good Award, and that unfortunately goes to Devin Singletary, who I talked about earlier, but had eight total touches for 26 yards, dropped a pass early in the game that was a guaranteed first down and probably would have been 20-something yards and could have been huge for the Bills' momentum as they tried to go toe-to-toe with that Chiefs offense, but consistently misses holes doesn't have good hands, doesn't have game-breaking speed, and all around is just not very good. And when you're a running back, the most replaceable position in football, and you're noticeably not very good, you do not stick around in this league. The next award I'm handing out is the Who Award. I'm giving that to the Houston Texans organization, Uh, not to be confused with the popular 60s and 70s band. This is going to Houston. Uh, They hired a GM that Watson had no say in. They hired David Culley, who coached everywhere, Tampa Bay, Pittsburgh, Philly, Kansas City, Buffalo, and most recently Baltimore. But yeah, I got no idea who either of these guys are. Okay, yeah, seems pretty fair. It's a great operation they have going down there in Houston. I'm going to stick with the Buffalo Bills for my second award. It's the Great Warrior Award. It goes to Cole Beasley, who I think is an Adonis of a man, just a stud with his long gold locks. But he just went out for seven catches and 88 yards on a broken fibula this past week that he's been playing on for several weeks now. The dude is a stud. He is a warrior, and everybody in Buffalo should be proud of him. Cole Beasley, his nickname is the Adonis now. We're just we're just going to give that to him. That's fine by me. I started it. <laughs> 
my final award is the pain award and I'm giving that to Steelers fans across the globe because we get to see Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown play in a Super Bowl not with our squad I mean they haven't done a whole lot in the playoffs they didn't do a whole lot to contribute in the regular season Uh, but whatever they're there and we aren't I don't know if AB will be healthy but if he is it's going to be fun to watch because he had been really hitting his stride over these past few weeks when he was out there my last award is the please stop being so good award and that goes to the Chiefs offense we just talked about how they are maybe the greatest of all time, but Mahomes went 29 of 38, 325 yards, three touchdowns. Tyreek Hill caught nine of 11 targets for 172. Kelsey caught 13 of 15 targets for 118 yards. That efficiency just makes me want to crumple up and die because it's just not fair. And just please stop being so good. I give the you're not very good award to Devin Singletary. And on the flip side, please stop being so good, Kansas City Chiefs, because it's just... It's unfair for the rest of us who want to mix up our picks and thought maybe we were getting a little clever and we were just wrong. Okay, so now that will do it for award tour. Let's get into the other storyline that seems to really be dominating right now across the NFL. The fact that all these quarterbacks are apparently going to be switching teams. So let's just do a QB carousel activity here. Let's talk about these guys, the destination that we think serves them best. And let's start with one of the two big dogs who has reportedly demanded a trade, Matthew Stafford. Good for him, because I don't know who would want to be a Detroit Lion right now. What do you think is the optimum destination for Stafford? I think it's Indianapolis. And, and the reason I say that is they just they give him so much more of what he's never had in his entire career. Last season, you saw Indianapolis wanted to go all in. They just decided, no, we don't want Brissett starting. We're going to go out. We're going to make a big move. And they got Phillip Rivers. So I think, one, it's a perfect fit. And I'll get into why. But two, I think it's reasonable that Indianapolis will try to swing for the fences once again this season. They don't want to waste the premium talent they have on their roster. This season, Indianapolis had the ninth scoring offense and the 10th scoring defense. In Stafford's 12 years as a starter in Detroit, he had one top 10 defense when the, sto- uh, when the Lions were third in 2014. In Stafford's 12 years as a starter in Detroit, he had one 1,000-yard rusher. Uh, Carson, can you tell me who that was? Uh, Javid Best? <laughs> No, it was not job at best. Hold on. Let me guess again. No way it's Abdullah. I'm just thinking through all of them. Zach Zenner, no way. But these are actual starters. Is it Reggie Bush? It is Reggie Bush. Reggie went for 1,006 in 2013. The next best single season running backs were Mikel LaShore and Joyke Bell. Eee. Uh, Stafford will finally have a running game in Indianapolis. Taylor and Hines are much better than any running back he had in Detroit. Taylor went for 1,169 yards and 11 touchdowns this season. And finally, quite possibly the most important aspect in Indianapolis, he will finally have an offensive line. Rivers was only sacked 19 times in 2020. The only time Stafford was sacked less times in a single season was in 2019 when he only started eight games. And in those eight games, he was sacked 18 times. More importantly, he will have one of the best defenses in football. They have the second best rushing defense and they are fifth in turnovers. If the Colts can simply get in some more position players, got uh, some weapons, because, you know, I like Pascal, I like Ali Cox, I like Hilton, but they're just not premium weapons. If they can go out there and maybe in the first or second round get a high quality wideout for Stafford, I genuinely believe this is a Super Bowl contending team. Do you think Michael Pittman can be that guy? Because I thought that he showed a lot of flashes this year. Pittman did show a lot of flashes, but I don't know. He seems a little a little too slow in my opinion. No, I think red zone wise, I think he could be a, honestly, a Brandon Marshall type character in the red zone just because he's got great hands. He's got great body control. He's just not that burner that I think the Colts offense is missing. Well, I do think that if Stafford goes to the Colts, they become a Super Bowl contender as the AFC just gets more and more loaded with the best teams in football. That's certainly an interesting destination. I have a slightly different plan for Indian Mind that I will get into, but I actually think, and I hate saying this, I don't even want to put this into the ether, I think the best destination for Stafford is the New England Patriots because with several key opt-outs and a quarterback who threw for 2,600 yards and eight touchdowns this season in Cam Newton, who was atrocious as far as throwing the football, probably the worst in football this season, this team went 7-9 and nine with all those things working against them. And they have a bunch of cap this year. The fourth most in football, which makes it easy to take on that Stafford contract. Now, they do have some important guys to pay. J.C. Jackson, Joe Thune, McCourty, David Andrews. But if they can pay most of those guys, which they should be able to as well as taking on Stafford, then they keep this core together. They return some key players. And 
With the discovery of Damian Harris, who I think is a scary good running back, who if he had started for this full season, probably would have put up some pretty big numbers. With healthy Julian Edelman coming back, with Jacoby Myers, who I think is a legit receiver. If Nikhil Harry pops, or if they get a guy in this very deep receiver class that we've already talked about in this episode, that's some pretty good offensive weapons with a very solid offensive line, a really good quarterback, and we know what this Patriots defense is capable of. They're a year removed from being one of the best ever, and although Gilmore is apparently unhappy, if you get him that quarterback on the other end and say, okay, we can put you in position to maybe win a Super Bowl, I don't know that he turns that down, and I think that he probably stays here. So it pains me to say, but Stafford, I do think, is an incredibly talented guy, and I think that he could obviously elevate this team to true contention status. I want to ask you, though, because you praise Stafford. You talk about how dire his situation was in Detroit, which I absolutely agree with. He was in one of the worst football situations for basically a decade that you could be in. How much do you think he does elevate a team? Is he the kind of guy who you look at and say, okay, he's that much better than replacement level? He can make a team with a good roster, a Super Bowl contender? Or do you feel like if you went to the Colts, it would basically be the same as them having Phillip Rivers? I do. I do think it would be similar to having Rivers. And it's not... Honestly, we don't know. It's such a big question mark because Stafford's numbers early on in his career were so inflated by having Calvin Johnson on his roster. And I'm not saying that Stafford didn't do a whole lot to warrant that, but he was playing with one of the greatest wideouts of all time. But in recent memory, you know, his touchdown interception ratio hasn't been good. His He makes a lot of boneheaded decisions on third down where he's not hitting open guys. He's trying to force passes. He forces a lot of balls. It's just this question of, is that because he was in a really bad situation where he was having to try to do too much, similar to what Wentz had to do this season, or is it simply that Stafford isn't that good a quarterback? I'm going to lean on the side that Stafford is a good quarterback, that he will elevate a team. He just hasn't had a a good team around him. He hasn't, not in seven years. Yeah, I think he's better than Rivers. I think he is... Obviously, one of the better quarterbacks in football. He's clutch. I think that he is pretty composed and performs well in those situations. And despite an incredible lack of weapons, if you look at his last two seasons in 24 games, he's 45 touchdowns to 15 interceptions. That's a season and a half. That's pretty darn good. That's exactly a 30 touchdown to 10 interception average over a 16-game pace. I will certainly take that, and I think that that's better than Rivers at this point in his career. I just think he has more arm talent. I actually think he's more accurate. I think he's as good of a decision maker. So I will take him across the board over Rivers, and I think that would be a big upgrade for them. And I will certainly take him across the board over Cam Newton. So let's move on now to the other big fish on the market, the bigger fish, I would say, Deshaun Watson. We touched on it a little bit last episode when I made my pitch for the New Orleans Saints to go out and get him. But what do you think is the best destination for Deshaun? I think the most logical destination is the Dallas Cowboys. And the reason I say this They've got a ton of weapons, way more than what Houston had. He's throwing to CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup. He's got Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard in the backfield. You talk about the injuries uh, that the Patriots dealt with. Well, they're going to get back a healthy Amari Cooper. They're going to get back an entire offensive line. Literally, their entire offensive line was injured. Uh, I think this Cowboys team is way more talented than they showed last year. Granted, I don't like Mike McCarthy. I think he's kind of a He's just kind of dumb. I just don't think he's a good head coach anymore. I think he's been kind of gamed out of the league. But the reason I still think this makes sense with a bad head coach, with a bad DC from last year that has now been moved on from, they've got Kellen Moore. And I think Kellen Moore is still one of the smartest offensive coordinators in football. I think he would jump at the chance to coach a guy like Deshaun. He would scheme up all kind of... It would be a crazy good offense if they could land this. And more, might maybe more importantly, he doesn't have to jump town. He can just... He can, what, he has to move a couple hours away? I mean, Dallas and Houston are pretty close to each other. So I think Dallas makes the most sense because, one, Jerry doesn't want to pay a quarterback like Dak Prescott this all kind of money because he doesn't think he's that talented. He would jump at the chance to get Deshaun because he is worth that money. And maybe Dallas, if they can get the rights, if they can sign Dak to a franchise tag, they throw him on the deal. Either way, I think that the difference between Dak and Deshaun Dak will take the Cowboys, in my opinion, to a 9-7, and a 10-6 and season. They're probably eliminated in the playoffs. Deshaun makes this team a Super Bowl contender because on the defensive side of the ball, they had a bunch of injuries as well. So I think this makes Dallas a Super Bowl contender. I think they've got more weapons and a young OC. I just think this makes a lot of sense for Deshaun. There's an interesting sort of give and take here in this theoretical proposition because Deshaun is obviously better than Dak, right? And 
under this scenario, you're going to be paying a quarterback big money either way, but it's a really good quarterback and a young quarterback who's going to be your franchise guy for quite some time. And again, Deshaun is better than Dak. He just can make more incredible stuff happen. I think is the more mesmerizing arm talent is a little bit more creative out of the pocket, maybe even makes less mistakes. All that is true. But Dak is still a really good quarterback. And considering this team's cap situation, they're not going to be able to build this roster up all that much through free agency. So if you're giving up a couple firsts to get Deshaun Watson, which I think is obviously the price, I don't know if I would rather give up that draft capital to fill out some essential needs for this team on the defensive end, obviously, where they just have not been good enough considering the offensive talent. Sacrificing that to bring in a better quarterback when I already have a really good quarterback? I don't know. It's an interesting give and take there, as I said. I actually, although I did already make the case for Deshaun to the Saints, I'm going to make the Deshaun to the Niners case right now. And I'm clearly all in on Deshaun going to teams that have Super Bowl rosters because I think they're the teams who need him most. And this team was just in the Super Bowl a year ago with a fine quarterback, Jimmy G who obviously has so many health concerns, is overpaid at this point. And if they're going to take that cap hit from the quarterback position, might as well devote it to Deshaun. A little bit contradictory to what I just said, but I think they're in a different situation than the Cowboys in that they don't have nearly as many holes to fill. They can give up that draft capital a little bit more readily. And they do have cap. They should be able to bring back Trent Williams, who's obviously fundamental to what they're trying to do on the offensive line. And if they retain Jason Verrett and Richard Sherman, now they probably won't retain Sherman with his play having dropped off and questions about his health and his age. They'll basically still have that same Super Bowl team minus DeForest Buckner. That's not to say that everyone is exactly at the level they were at in that season, but it's not a dramatically different roster that was just there. They were just obviously so crushed by injuries this season. So I just think there's no reason not to do this. If you can throw Jimmy into the deal somehow, I think maybe he would still have intrigue for the Texans. You always want to have at least a competent quarterback in your organization. You can still draft a guy. You just have Jimmy there as sort of a mentor, and the cap doesn't matter when you're that bad. So I think that, and whatever it takes, if it's a couple first, if it's a first and a second, then I think that you go out there and do it, maybe even if it's three firsts. I don't really know what the market is going to demand for Deshaun. That's saying theoretically alongside Jimmy, but I think it just makes sense. You become maybe the Super Bowl favorite. This is still a Super Bowl defense when they're healthy. There are still some incredible offensive weapons here, a strong line. You throw in a Super Bowl quarterback, which Deshaun absolutely is. He's one of the five best guys in football at the position, and I don't know why this team wouldn't do that. You have a window, go all in for it. No, I completely agree. I think a lot of these quarterbacks make sense for San Francisco. I have another guy highlighted. I'll get into that. Now, you say that you think the best fit for Watson is San Francisco. Where do you think he actually goes? I don't know. He seems to be a lost soul to me if he wants to go to the New York Jets because that just seems repulsive. I've also heard about the Dolphins obviously wanting to make that happen. I don't know if I can speak to it just because this is such an unprecedented situation and I don't really know how this is all going to go down. I don't know what the value is going to be. I don't know. Houston is still saying that they're not going to trade him. They have no interest in doing so. I don't think that that's true, but that's what they're saying. So I really don't know. Do you have a guess of what you think is the most probable destination? My prediction would be New York, only just because Deshaun, it seems like he wants to go play for Robert Sala, that he wants to go to New York for some unknown reason. The only reason I would do this trade if I was New York, I wouldn't want to give up that second pick. And I know Houston's going to push for it, but... They desperately need a tackle on the other side. And I think Penny Suell makes a little too much sense to get in New York. I would see if you could do a little bait and switch and see if the Texans would take Sam Darnold instead, along with maybe two or three firsts down the line. But I would try to hold a premium on that second pick because you can get one of the best tackles for the next decade. If you land him, you have your line figured out, you have Watson, and then you can just let solid draft defensive guys and build that side of the ball up. I agree. I think that, that would be a very wise approach. Let's get to, I would say, the third biggest fish on the market who isn't being talked about quite as much because he is not in a trade situation. He's just a free agent straight up. Let's talk about Dak, who you seem to think will be leaving Dallas or at least hope if you want Deshaun to go there. Where do you think Dak ends up and where would you most like to see Dak end up? Honestly, I'd like to see him in San Francisco. Now, you could make the same case that you just made for Deshaun. I think that either quarterback makes a lot of sense in San Francisco. They're a qu- they are a improvement of Jimmy Garoppolo away from being in Super Bowl contention. And I would say Dak and Deshaun are both upgrades from him. So I'm going to make the case for Dak to San Francisco. I just think that, I mean, a lot of what you said, they're a, they're uber talented defensively. They have the offensive line built up. It's just a plug and play system. Now, where do I think Dak ends up? I don't think Deshaun ends up going to the Cowboys. I think Jerry has to swallow his pride and end up giving Dak a decently sized contract, or he has to put a franchise tag on him. Uh, 
Either way, I think San Francisco has to come away with the quarterback. Is there any overwhelming favorite for you, though, Carson? Well, I agree that the Cowboys should absolutely bring Dak back because I just think him, those weapons, an offensive line that is so much better than what we saw this season because, as you mentioned, everyone was going down with injuries. That, to me, is a top-five offense in football. But I'm going to go rogue here and make a pitch for something I think would be really, really fun. An in-division rival, rival, Logan, because this isn't a trade. And if Dak feels like he is being just shorted by the Cowboys and they're not paying him the money he's worth. Maybe he turns his back on them and goes to the Washington football team who will have over $50 million in cap. They can save another $15 million by cutting Alex Smith. They have an opt-out with his contract this year. And yes, they have a lot of significant free agents up for grabs. Brandon Sheriff, Ryan Kerrigan, Ronald Darby. But first of all, you're going to have $65 million and Dak should absolutely be priority number one. This would be the best defense he's ever had. There are weapons here with Terry McLaurin, with Logan Thomas, with Antonio Gibson, JD McKissick, and maybe you take another receiver in this draft, this class that we've talked about the depth of. This was a playoff team, obviously not a traditional playoff team, but a playoff team nonetheless with some of the worst quarterback play in football between even Alex Smith, who was the best of the group, and obviously Dwayne Haskins, Kyle Allen, your boy Taylor Heineke, everybody who went out there for the football team this season. You replace those guys with a top 12 quarterback in football who was off to an offensive pace this season like we've never seen before, who is also young and can be your franchise guy who you can build this team around. That, to me, is a really exciting proposition. What do you think about that? Is it a little bit too out there? I don't necessarily think it's going to happen, but man, would it be fun. Oh, no, I love it. I mean, I think that puts it puts the football team as near... I mean, one... I think it puts them right in the playoffs once again. But you are taking talent from your in-division rival, which is even just a just a stick it to Jerry. He's got to go out and scramble for a quarterback. I love it. I'd love to see it. I've got a proposal for a different quarterback, but that's pretty bold. I do like it. It's a spite signing on Dak's part. It's also a good football decision, I think, because again, the Cowboys, as much offensive talent as they've put around him, they've never had a defensive unit even close to the group that the football team has together right now that is primarily a young group as well that is just going to continue to get better. So I think that that would be very exciting. I don't know if it happens though. All right, let's move on now to some names who maybe aren't as huge, but I think are still interesting. Jacoby Brissett. Now he was not a starter this past season, although he was a starter two seasons ago and a pretty good one, I would say. He is a free agent. The Colts have the option to re-sign him as their quarterback situation is obviously uncertain, but what do you think will happen with Brissett, and what would you most like to see happen? What I'd most like to see is to see him go back to New England. We already know he works there. He knows the system. He knows Belichick. And as you broke down earlier, um, they had a lot of injuries. They had a lot of opt-outs. This Patriots defense is going to be really good next season, and all they need basically is the opposite of Cam Newton. They need a guy that's just going to protect the football, that's going to play game-managing just game managing football. And Cam Newton in 2020, 20 TDs of 14 turnovers, Ugh. Jacoby Brissett in his last two seasons as a starter, 17 touchdowns to seven picks, 22 touchdowns to six picks. I'm not saying that Jacoby is... Jacoby to me is like a less fast Tyrod Taylor uh, with a better arm. Yeah, it's, it's a loose comparison. He's not going to throw for a lot of yards, but he's going to protect the football. He's going to score when he has opportunities, and he can scramble a little. Jacoby's a really good quarterback, and I think for a division that is as open as the AFC East is, the Bills are going to take that top spot next season. But you can fight and claw with the Dolphins for that two seed because their defense is comparable, their quarterback situation will be comparable if they get Jacoby to Tua. Now, that being said, that is a, that's a fit that I think uh, would be best for Jacoby just because he knows New England's system better. I would love to see him go to Chicago, though, man. They've got a decent weapon in Allen Robinson. They've got a really dominant defense. And again, Chicago just kind of needs a QB manager, a guy that's going to complete a high percentage of his passes, that is going to move the ball down the field, that is going to sustain drives. And Mitch Trubisky just isn't that. So I think also it's a cold weather situation. Jacoby can throw the football in cold weather like he did in New England. Both of those spots, I think, are logical. What about you, Carson? Well, I would like to start this by saying, as a Jacoby Brissett fan, I am offended by the Tyrod comparison. Jacoby is so much better than him. He's 6'4", 240. He just has more physicality, I would say. You can use him in third and short situations as a runner. You can use him in the red zone. And he can just throw the ball downfield more. And Tyrod sucks, man. Tyrod's terrible. I'm sorry, did Jacoby, you're Alex Smith. What do you want from me, Cars? Is that a better one? Yeah, I guess. Anyone but Tyrod. Tyrod is so bad. And Jacoby deserves to be a starter in this league, I think. However, my projection is not necessarily that he will be a long-term starter. I think that he should go back to the Colts for reasonable money, a one- or two-year deal, and 
Admittedly, this probably serves the Colts better than it serves Brissett, but this is what I want to see because you talk about Stafford going to the Colts. I think obviously there's discussion of them going out and getting a polished, established, top half quarterback right now. But I think with their current situation of this roster where they're going to have to pay Quentin Nelson and Darius Leonard, Justin Justin Houston is hitting the free agent market this season. I would like as much flexibility as far as cap goes around those guys as possible. So I don't necessarily want to bring in a big money quarterback when this roster has so much talent elsewhere. And I think Brissett is absolutely starter level. As you mentioned, just last year, gave you 22 total touchdowns to six picks. He does a good job of controlling the game and is a level above Tyrod as far as game managers go. And then what I think the long-term solution for this Colts team is trade up from 21 and take your guy in this draft. I think it's a fascinating group as far as the top four candidates. You're not going to get Trevor Lawrence clearly because you're not going to get your hands on that number one pick. I don't know if you have to go all the way up to two. I think Zach Wilson has a little Baker Mayfield in him. I think that Trey Lance is incredibly talented as well. Any of those guys, to me, you can probably plug and play, and with the roster of this caliber, can be a starting quarterback on a really good football team. So maybe Brissett is just a one-year stopgap guy. Maybe he only starts 10 games. Maybe he starts less than that. But I think you're a playoff team with Brissett. You're also a playoff team with one of these rookie guys, and I'm just a big believer in when you have the Super Bowl roster, if you can get a rookie quarterback in there who you're confident in, it's obviously just so favorable for cap purposes. So do it. And I think there are guys like that in this class. So that is my vision for the Colts and Brissett. And we will see if it happens. All right, let's move on to another guy who was a backup this past season, but clearly has starter potential. Famous Jameis Winston. Where do you think he ends up? Where would you like to see him end up? So I've made this case uh, when we've talked about the Saints before. Uh, I think the best situation for Jameis is in New Orleans, and I think the I, I think the situation he still ends up in, I think New Orleans hangs on to Jameis and lets him uh, become the starter next season. So again, I think that he knows Sean Payton. He's been in the system. He learned under Drew Brees how they run it. He's got more weapons than any other team that he could possibly go to in guys like Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. He's got a really great defensive line. Again, Maybe not the ideal scenario for the Saints because it could still scare you off. I think the reason that we saw Taysom Hill play over Jameis was because they were scared that Jameis might throw them out of football games. That is still a a real concern that the Saints should have. That being said, though, he's learned under Breeze. He's learned under Payton. You have to at least give him a shot and give him a look to see, has Jameis improved? Can he be a starter in this league? Do you think he should go back to the Saints or do you think that there are other teams that should give him a shot? I do think he should go back to New Orleans. Outside of my Deshaun to the Saints pitch, I think if Winston's going to start anywhere, it might as well be with this team where he's already familiar with the system where he has so much talent. And I do think it would be really interesting to see what he looks like with a really gifted squad around him with a really bright offensive coach because, sure, he threw 30 interceptions last season. We all remember it. But he also is clearly a very talented thrower of the football, if not the greatest decision maker. And this is a very different system because... It's so predicated on underneath stuff, and you have some of the league's best safety valves in both Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, so it'd be fun to see how he adjusts to that. Now, maybe you can argue that the reason they were doing so much underneath stuff was because they had a quarterback who couldn't throw downfield, but I think there are obviously positive takeaways from that. There's nothing wrong with throwing a handful of screens to Alvin Kamara and a bunch of slants to Michael Thomas every game, and then you can also open things up a little bit more downfield. I think Jameis just brings that versatility there, so maybe a year under Breeze did help him gain a little more composure, gain a little bit of a higher conceptual understanding of the game and of this offense, and maybe he does come out as a different, more composed, smarter football player. I would like to see it. Now, obviously, I think the Saints have a Super Bowl roster. If they don't think he's the guy, go gamble on a established star quarterback. Stafford or Deshaun, I think, would be very fun here. I don't think it's likely, though. It sounds like they're going to go in-house, especially given their cap situation, and I think that it is probably because of that. I think it's Jameis. I certainly hope it's not Taysom Hill. Okay. So now we just have a couple more guys, a couple of oddball candidates, but we're going to talk about them. Mitch Trubisky, you touched on the opening for the Bears, presumably. What happens with with Mitch? I mean, if you want my real opinion, Mitch Trubisky should not be playing football next season. He should be backing someone up. But I do think there are a few spots that make a little bit of sense for Trubisky. The first spot I will say is Denver. Um, And the only reason... When Drew Locke went down, he's had a few injury-prone seasons so far. You don't know if he can stay healthy. You don't want to turn to any of these, uh, who they, I I was going to say Zach Dysart. That's not right. They had some scrub playing against us in that second game. Um, They had, 
I want to get his name right. Jeff Driscoll, Brett Rippon, Kendall Hinton. I mean, it was embarrassing. And some of that was due to COVID. Some of that was due to injuries. Either way, I think Denver would be smart by investing in a backup. It gives you a little bit of a race between him and Locke, who I honestly think are kind of similar in how they play and uh, what their arm talents are. So there's one. But I think if Detroit moves on from Matthew Stafford, Maybe look to Chicago and just take him from the Bears. Take uh, take Trubisky in. Give him a shot at starting somewhere. I mean, the Lions don't have a good offensive line. That may work with how Trubisky plays just because he, he's a little more mobile than Matthew Stafford was. Honestly, there aren't a whole lot of destinations I, I think Trubisky fits in just because he's not that talented of a quarterback. Are there any overwhelming situations that you think work for him? I think he should go back up for the New York football Jets. <laughs> what? No, I mean, I just think Mr. Trubisky is really bad at football. Do you think the Bears are 100% done with him, moved on? Yeah. Oh, I think, I mean, that's what it sounds like. It doesn't sound like they're going to give him any chance at all. And if Nick Foles is on the roster, why even entertain it? So I just don't know where he goes. I think maybe he should go back to the Bears and try to compete for that starting spot because they seem to be the only team that's able to stomach starting him. Genuinely, though, maybe he should go somewhere like the Jets where he can compete for a starting job with a rookie, or it just has to be somewhere of that tier. Maybe it is the Lions where there's going to be such uncertainty at the quarterback position. Maybe it's the Texans. It has to be a team in the most dire of straits, though, and nothing excites me enough to single it out because Trubisky is not good. He's not a starting quarterback, and we have seen that over these past few years. So there's really nothing that stands out to me because... He should just be a backup in this. Yeah, I mean, maybe the Montreal uh, Alouettes. The, um... Maybe the Alouettes. Maybe the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I think that all of those, maybe he goes to an arena football team. Maybe he goes to the XFL. I don't know. That would actually be pretty fun. He could be MVP in those leagues. He is Nickelodeon valuable players, so I guess that means something, but not a big Trubisky guy. Okay, last candidate here. We have to talk about him. He is the king of the trivia time Name any quarterback from any team after 2005 question because he has been on oh so many. Oh, 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 it's Fitzmagic. Where does Fitzy go in this offseason? Uh, I think he should go play for the Washington football team. As you mentioned, with all the turmoil at the position, there's been one guy who's just constantly hanging around, looking for jobs, always healthy, always willing to back guys up in case you're not fully confident in him. It's Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's played for every football team. Why not go play for the football team? I mean, they've got weapons around him. Like, I think that I genuinely think the football team could be a playoff team again with Fitzpatrick at the helm. He's a, if he's not doing his wild man, let me have a random game where I throw five interceptions. He'll be a plus. He's got weapons around him, McLaurin, Antonio Gibson. He's got a good offensive line, quite possibly the best defense he's ever played with. I mean, I just think that a team that is so desperate for talent at the position, this is a guy who has been constantly healthy and available. Why not give him a shot? That's interesting. Do you think there's a possibility that the Dolphins bring him back for a similar role to last year? Because Obviously, you hope that by year two, two was the full-time starter, but clearly they still were not fully confident in him over Fitzy, even towards the end of this past season. And that is my official prediction. I think that I'd love to see him go to Washington. I think he does return to Miami. I think he's suited for that role. I think he'll actually get playing time potentially again next year with the uncertainty with Tua. And I think he's just, I think he's adjusted from the interviews that we've heard with Fitzpatrick from he loves it, Miami. I don't think he wants to leave. I think this is an organization that he is fully bought into. So my official prediction for Fitzpatrick would be that he goes back to Miami. Okay. Well, first of all, I would like to say that Ryan Fitzpatrick is an American hero. And wherever he goes, that team will be very lucky. I obviously have slightly higher aspirations for the football team just because I do believe in that roster so much. And although Miami is certainly a possibility, I think that they probably want to proceed with Tua as the guy because... Still choosing Fitzmagic over him in year two might be enough to really discourage him and kill his confidence. So I have him going to the Detroit Lions. Now, maybe this isn't a tremendously exciting deal for either team because they're just not going to be very good, but you need a stopgap guy. I assume that they will draft somebody in the absence of Matthew Stafford. And what's better than a Fitzpatrick year? What's better than having him there to mentor guys, to maybe teach them some bad things that they then need to unlearn? For example, what coverages you should never throw into that he likes to throw into. I just think it would be a fun thing to have in a season of otherwise desperation for the Lions. And nowhere stands out to me. I don't think he's good enough to be a starter on a team that has real playoff aspirations. He's just too up and down. To me, he's more in that really good backup mentor role. Maybe it's back in Miami. I think it could possibly be in Detroit. Okay. 
So that will do it for us here today. We have touched on, obviously, some of the biggest games of the past week and some of the exciting stuff coming up in this offseason. But of course, the most exciting thing that remains is the Super Bowl, and we will touch on that in full next week. You can go ahead and listen to some of our previous episodes from this week. We talked NBA this past Wednesday, discussed some preseason predictions that we are already regretting. And this Monday, we talked about the top 10 duos in NBA history at their peaks. So you can go and check both of those out. You can also follow us on Instagram at NerdSesh and on Twitter at Nerd underscore Sesh. So that will do it for us here today. I've been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. You're listening to Blaze Radio on blazeradioonline.com. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to to start listening.